0: Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology, and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 81. What we have seen in those 10 years is an increasing awareness globally of Islamic finance. It has moved forward significantly.
1: My name is Dipesh Patel, Editor at Trade Finance Global. Today, we're talking about Islamic finance, the major changes we've seen in the market and how appetite is changing around the world. Sharia and Halal Finance continue to evolve, helped by FinTech, which in turn is helping SMEs all around the world. Today, I'm joined by Daud Vickery, Managing Director at DVA Consulting. Daud, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So joining us from uh, Kuala Lumpur, if you can give a brief introduction, Dowd. who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? My name is Dowd Vickery. I wasn't
0: born with that name because I converted to Islam about 30 years ago. I was originally called David Vickery, but I answered both names. I'm from the UK originally, but I haven't lived in the UK for now close on 30 years. And most of my time I've spent in, in Southeast Asia, and I'm based in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. My career has been focused really on finance. I was a conventional banker and became an Islamic banker, and I've been involved in consulting the last years of my full-time career. Before I retired in 2017, I ran the world's only postgraduate university dedicated to Islamic finance. And since retirement, I've been very actively engaged in promoting and advising on Islamic finance
1: matters. In addition to being the independent director at Finalytics, you're also chairman at Ethics Global and a trustee at the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. So do you view ethics as an integral part of Islamic finance? finance.
0: Absolutely. Just to correct you, it's, it's ethical global. Yes, I mean, I perform a number of roles, but I see ethics an integral part of Islamic finance. It's not to say that anything that isn't Islamic is unethical. The core values are extremely ethical. If you look at the objectives of Islam, which are enshrined in something called the Muqassar al-Sharia, which is really the pathway, the essence of Islam, it is very much uh, focused on matters pertaining to sustainability and the preservation of things. In effect, the Macassid and the ethics of the Macassid focus very much on the preservation of human life and indeed all life, on faith, preservation of intellect, property and family. All of these values I'm sure you can identify with and can be very closely aligned with what came out in 2015 as the Sustainable Development Goals. But the ethics that surround that are absolutely vital to having an understanding of both the Islam and uh, Islamic finance.
1: Thank you very much. And I definitely see a lot of parallels with the sustainable development goals and Islamic finance. Can you break down what Sharia and Islamic finance is, particularly for members of our audience who may not be familiar with these terms?
0: My answer is, well, you know, let's do a course for two days and I'll try and explain it. I do have a, what I call an elevator speech statement, which covers it. I was asked this question many years ago when I first set up an Islamic bank here in Malaysia, and I was its first managing director. And the media asked me a question, very similar to yours, what is Islamic finance in a sentence or two? And I responded then, as I will respond now, Islamic finance is about the efficient and effective mobilization of capital for the benefit of the real economy. And that usually leads to a couple of supplementary questions. But in essence, that is what Islamic finance is. It follows the rules of Sharia, which are generally very open. There are a few prohibitions, however, we were prohibited to deal in RIBA, which is interest in anything which is to do with gambling and anything which has a level of uncertainty. And there are also certain forbidden products like armaments, pork, alcohol, which are forbidden. Otherwise,
1: Islamic finance is there for everybody. Can you talk about some of the major changes you've seen in the Islamic finance market? And actually, I'm going to ask if you can give perhaps like a 10-year view. So in the past decade or so, how have you seen the Islamic finance market evolve?
0: What we have seen in those 10 years is an increasing awareness globally of Islamic finance, it has moved forward significantly. In more people understanding it, both Muslims and non-Muslims. Still a long way to go, but it is being recognised as a credible force. Um, together with the halal industry, finance covers about three trillion dollars. The halal industry probably a similar number, uh, number. What we've also seen is more focus on education in Islamic finance. In other words, more universities are offering degrees in Islamic finance, there are professional qualifications, there are professional agencies which are offering professional qualifications in all aspects of Islamic finance, including auditing and accounting. That would be a major change. The major identification that's occurred since 2015 is, as I alluded to in the previous answer, the alignment of Islamic finance with the Sustainable Development Goals and its objectives were formed 1600 years ago, the SDGs only came about in 2015. So, the intrinsic values of Islam and Islamic finance are very much focused on those SDGs and have been since inception. And I hope that gives a brief summary of the last 10 years. I'm sure others might argue that other things are, are more significant, but Islamic finance has gained more traction more acceptance and credibility. Many of the standards bodies and regulatory bodies now have Islamic finance arms or are engaged in it. You know, i give an example. You're based in the UK. The Bank of England is a member of the Islamic Financial Services Board. And there are a number of what I would call non-Muslim countries which are part of the regulatory body. The IFSB is the Islamic equivalent of the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland. So there's an increasing awareness and acceptance of Islamic finance globally.
1: And I'm sure you You've also seen a rise in the issuance of Sukuk or Islamic bonds. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that has occurred. So people have seen this as a means of funding and
0: and tapping what is a very liquid market. A lot of people are looking to raise funds in this market and also looking to invest in Islamic paper for reasons which could well be SDG-related reasons. The growth in Sukuk and uh, that side of the market, the funding market, has grown significantly and is a very popular way of raising funds. Indeed, if I refer to the UK again to go back to 2015, the UK issued a sovereign Sukuk in order to stimulate both the Islamic market and in recognition that the market and London as a major financial centre had to be engaged in Islamic finance.
1: we are probably saying to say then the overall market for islamic finance is set to grow do you see any challenges to this continued growth
0: there are always challenges to growth you know we're starting from a very low threshold so growth looks very good when you're small and you're growing quite fast we've grown reasonably significantly the challenges to growth really revolve around three things and these three things have not changed much in the last 20 years there are certain refinements you know firstly education. There has been improved education, but that education is still required so people don't dismiss Islamic finance as something that's just Muslims do, or we don't like it, or Islam creates the wrong image in somebody's mind. Perception is the second thing, and education does change perception. There are many misperceptions about Islam and Islamic finance, and I won't go into it in detail, but I would say that many people are deeply suspicious because Islam has a bad name. I'm speaking very generally, but usually people are concerned when you're talking about Sharia or you're talking about Islam. They forget or are not aware that many of the scientific and uh, medical advantages of Islam have been forgotten. So I'm talking about you know medical practices. I'm talking about uh, just numeracy, the Arabic numerals. Talking about scientific formula, but also talking about concepts like trust funds. You may or may not be aware that the first college of Oxford, which was founded, I think, in the 1260s, Merton College, was founded as an endowment. But actually, if you look at that endowment document, it's a copy of an Islamic waqf. So all major Western universities, including Harvard, which has the largest trust fund in the world, is actually based on the Islamic concept of waqf. And so there are a lot of good things in Islam, which many people are just not aware of.
1: Let's talk about technology, and we can see that billions have been invested into Islamic finance technology, whether that be in the crypto space, the real estate, or various other assets within the market. Where do you see the most potential for fintech as, I guess, as an enabler for the Islamic finance world? This is a little bit of crystal
0: ballgazing, but it's also based on what's happened in the last couple of years. I was in a discussion with a couple of Islamic finance CEOs yesterday. They didn't have the legacy infrastructure. that many other financial institutions had in terms of... uh technology, that they were able to deliver far advanced solutions to their customers because they didn't have, shall we say, the baggage of the past. Now, I think that's one aspect which is important. Another area is, is again, because of its newness, and and I'll say the enthusiasm of um, young Muslims around the world, and I'm particularly looking at the UK market. There is a lot of development going on in Islamic fintech. There is a lot happening here in Malaysia, also Indonesia. We're also seeing In um, Central Asia as well, for example, which I'm familiar with, there's a great deal of development going on and innovation going on. Where do I see the fintech taking us? It's clearly going to be about delivery through mobile apps for the younger generation. There's going to be the implementation, I think, of much more artificial intelligence. The decision supports around uh, investment and around pension funds or where you want to sort of move your assets. And I think also, you know, I'm starting to see changes around currency mentioned crypto, Bitcoin, there's a debate still going on about the Sharia compliance of crypto and Bitcoin. I'm in the school of thought that basically says Bitcoin is no bad thing because it releases us from a fiat currency system, a leveraged currency system, which in effect is not allowed Islam. But unfortunately, Islamic finance has to align itself with it. So Bitcoin and others, if appropriately regulated, and controlled, help us come up with a really alternative financial system, which breaks away from the constraints of the current fiat currency system and its payment systems. I see interesting developments there. I've been involved in one which is coming out of Saudi Arabia, which is developing an asset and commodity-backed currency, in effect, a global real-time settlement uh, system that if it does come to fruition, technically it's feasible and it's been proven. What it needs to get is global acceptance because it's got to replace the Bank of International Settlements and it's got to replace the global SWIFT system, which is something which will be very challenging. But in effect, the technology is there to be able to do it. It's just about building the acceptance. Despite my age, I'm a great believer in technology, the change. And I see Islamic as because it's a young industry, it's really quite versatile and adaptable to making the changes necessary and to explore those changes in order to fulfil the objectives of the MACASID. I hope that gives you some insights.
1: Would you be able to comment on developments in the trade, the cross-border, the import and export finance side of things when it comes to fintech and more specifically Islamic finance developments?
0: Where I'm quite excited is development of not just standards. The interaction between the Islamic economy including the halal alcohol. You know, the ability to purchase something in one country and get it delivered to another country, but using a commonly agreed standard, which could be this currency that I'm or shall we say this asset class, which has been developed out of Saudi. Where that's existing, I'm sure it will happen elsewhere. You may be able to do this in the near term. And by that, I mean, in the next three to five years, you could do this on your mobile phone directly without having any interaction with an intermediary such as a financial institution institution. institution whatsoever that of course presents certain regulatory challenges that's the direction it's going in and certainly the marketplace is going to lap it up because it's just going to be pushing a button and everybody will have a mobile phone whatever exists in three or four years to replace it they'll be very keen to do it it will be kind of like a no-brainer decision you know if I can give an example of that Malaysia is very very fond of using motorbike delivery it's called grab here and also people use grab taxis this is a company which was uh, originally based in Malaysia. It's now based in Singapore, that covered the whole area. How did Uber? So Uber didn't have a market. But Uber are coming back. What they're doing is they're saying all our cars are going to be hybrid or electronic. In effect, if you're given the choice between using a petrol-driven car or an electronic car, you're going to choose the electric one. The analogy I'm drawing there is in the future, if you can just push a button to say I can now purchase these goods and import them directly on the touch of the button, rather than going through a bank to set up all the you know letters of credit and whatever else, I would far rather do that than go through all the bureaucracy in order to conduct my business. I see this being greatly simplified by digital technology and artificial intelligence. And uh, a lot of things which we accept as being the norm as part of the process, I can see as being the exception and not part of the process in probably as little as five years.
1: Very interesting. And we've seen disruption at an enormous scale, especially coming out of that Asia-Pacific region. I guess finally, Dad, I'd like to ask the question, where do you see the Islamic finance industry going in the next 12 months or so?
0: I do see continued adaptation on the digital front. I also see a lot more happening around sustainability issues and the linkage between Islamic finance and SDGs and all the SG work. I also see Islamic finance playing a major role in sustainable finance. And and why do I say that? Well, within Islamic finance, there are certain categories of social finance. These are the Zakat contributions, which is, you know, two and a half percent of every Muslim's wealth goes into, let's call it a social security fund. We're talking billions of dollars here. Charitable giving called Sadaqah and also the concept of Wakaf endowment are growing significantly. There is an opportunity using those tools to come up with blended finance with what I would call more traditional forms of Islamic finance to provide cheaper funding options to open up finance and financial mobilization to the underprivileged, underprivileged groups. And by that, I mean people not having that great an income, but are unbankable, but also leveraging it In order to deal with with poverty and climate change issues, I've been involved in some projects with the International Federation of Red Cross in East Africa, as you know, is subject to climate change, drought and so on. And we've used Islamic finance constructs in non-Muslim areas, I hasten to add, which has impacted over 5 million people, given them fresh water, given them a new cash lock. And the investment, which was, let me use a number which is round, the investment of 10 million has actually generated wealth of about 50 million. And as a result, it's to pay it forward. So as one group or family or village or county has grown and developed using this Islamic finance, And using the water and growing new crops, some of the profit that they make from that, they've distributed to neighboring villages and counties and so on. So the impact of one investment of 10 million has now generated $50 million worth of wealth. This is where I see a lot of exciting development going on, particularly in the next
1: 12 months. Thank you very much, Dad. I think there's a lot we can learn here, particularly for the use cases of Islamic finance around some of those key issues that practitioners and governments are currently facing around ESG, green climate change and climate finance. I think one of the big take homes from this podcast is really the use cases for Sharia finance, for blended financial solutions, and also for financial mobilization of the unbanked population. So Daud, thank you so much for joining us today on Trade Finance Talks. It's been really interesting talking about some of the major changes and the development and evolution of Sharia and Islamic finance. And and we look forward to hearing from you soon. And hopefully it's going to be quite an exciting 12 months ahead for us. Well, thank you, Deepesh. Thanks
0: for the opportunity. It's been my pleasure and privilege. And uh, I enjoy always enjoy an opportunity to explain things which perhaps people have not had an opportunity to have them explained before. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person before too long. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts
1: at tradefinanceglobal.com.